recently, Anita and I, as you know, have returned from Israel, which was a miracle trip for us. We joined what was called the Jerusalem Encounter Tour. And since returning, many people have asked us, how was the experience? What impact did it have for you? So the last two weeks and today and possibly next week, I might extend it out to a part four, I want to share my Jerusalem impressions, my Jerusalem Encounter. And uh, Israel, as you know, it's a phenomenal country. It really is. The Bible declares that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, when we think about the honey that is, it's talking about there, it's actually not talking about bee honey, just so you can understand. It's not talking about uh, uh, just bee honey. It's actually the, the honey or the sweetener that they used at that time was date honey. That's what they, they loved, the, the dates. When you travel through Israel, you'll see from Galilee to the, in the Jordan Valley, you'll, you'll just, as you follow the Jordan River, thousands upon thousands of uh, uh, date palms every where you look. And so that was the sweetener. In fact, Israel is one of the biggest exporters of, of classy dates in the world. That's what they were talking about. That, and that sort of makes sense when you think of the 12 spies when they came back from the land. In Numbers 13 verse 27, it says, We went into the land which you send us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here are the bees. No, no, it said here is the fruit. So it's the fruit uh, uh, of the land. So, so uh, many believe that's dates. There was bee honey there, but that was the sweetener of the time. It's an incredible country. Jerusalem, as I've uh, said last week, is referred to more than 800 times in the scriptures, more than 800 times. So it's ludicrous for people like the U of N to, uh, UN to, to say there is no Jewish history in Israel. It's just, just madness. Jerusalem is one of the oldest cities in the world, 4,000 years old, 4,000 years of history, and of course, the Temple Mount is such a special place. We talked about Mount Moriah last week, and how uh, that's the place people don't realize it, but it is the place where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, and, and God said, Stop! God said, Stop! And He Himself provided a lamb, He Himself provided a ram for, for the sacrifice. That's where He was first called Jehovah Jireh. But not only that, so many special, powerful events have happened on Mount Moriah. That's why it is a holy place. Our friend Jacob in Genesis also, when he traveled to go back to meet his brother Esau and make peace with him, it says he was on a journey and he stopped for the night. He laid his head down. He had a dream. And in that dream, a ladder came down from heaven and angels ascended and descended. Where was that? It was on Mount Moriah. And so for the Jew, they look at that and say, that is like the gateway to heaven. That's where, where heaven, if you like, touched earth. It was not just an album cover. Come on, somebody. It's where heaven actually touched earth. And so to the Jews, it is the holy place, that Temple Mount. Jer Jerusalem is for the Jew, the very center of the earth. In fact, one rabbi said, it is like the navel of the, it's like the center. It's the, it's, Jerusalem is the navel or the belly button, if you like, of the earth. That's how important it is. It's from where life comes. It's from where life flows. And so it's important to understand how important it is. And where do we get the word Jew from anyway? Well, simply from they are the people of Judah. They're the people of Judah. And so it's just been shortened down. It's a bit more complicated than that, but that's all we have time for this week. I'm throwing that in for free. But Judah, that's where they get it from. That's where we get the word Jew. But it's a very important place to them as a people and to us as followers 
of Christ. And so today I want to speak to you about graves and gates. Graves and gates. A fascinating subject, don't you agree? Graves and gates. So when we arrived in Jerusalem after our ascent from Jericho, which we talked about last week, when we arrived, when we came into the city, we came out of a tunnel when there was Jerusalem before us. Anita was crying. I was shedding a tear. But the first thing we did is we drove up onto the Mount of Olives, which is a very significant hill in Scripture. Now, I say hill because it's certainly not a mountain like we think of a mountain. And it's certainly not significant because it's so high. It's definitely not very high at all. So that's not why it's significant. It's significant. In fact, it's on the picture behind me as well. It is significant because of all the things that have happened on the Mount of Olives, more than I can meaningfully share with you today. But the Mount of Olives overlooks Jerusalem, and it overlooks the eastern side of the temple Mount. In Scripture, the Mount of Olives is the place, and maybe if you've been around the Bible for a while, you'll know this. If you're new, uh, uh, here's something uh, for you to understand. But this is the place, the Mount of Olives is the place where Jesus ascended. It's where he went up into heaven. Luke 24, verse 50 says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. We'll hear, hear about Bethany lots of times in the Bible. We go, Where is it? What's the Mount of Olives? It's the Mount of Olives. How, how close is that? Well, it's like Otaihanga from here. It's like Nikau Valley. It's, it's that close. So Bethany is where Lazarus lived and where, 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 where his sisters lived. That, that's how close it is. In fact, I was blown away even how close Bethlehem is to Jerusalem. If you look at it, it's only like Waikanae. Waikanae is like, that's how close it is to Kapiti. That That's how close these places are. And so when, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, which is the Mount of Olives, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And when I say, you think, oh, well, they took the journey back. No, they just walked down the hill. Just walked down the hill. It was that. It was that close to them. So they 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 returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And listen, they stayed continually at the temple. They didn't abandon the temple. They didn't say, "Okay, that's so we're Christians now. We don't need that." No, they went to the temple. They went to that place, and they stayed continually in the temple, praising God. So it's a very special place, the Mount of Olives. The Scripture also says it is a place the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Anointed One, will return. In, in Zechariah 14, verse 4, the prophetic word says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. But here's the thing. As you look down on the slope of the Mount of Olives, one could be forgiven for asking, Where are the olive trees? Where are the olive trees? For already is once upon a time this place was covered in olive trees. The Garden of Gethsemane, uh, which actually means Gethsemane, if you're going, well, what does Gethsemane mean? It simply means olive press, the place where olives are pressed. That's what Gethsemane means. But, but, but it is a short walk down, down a small road, just a short road, not a long walk, just a short walk, maybe 10 minutes. It's a short walk down to the base of the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane is at the base of the Mount of Olives in what is known as the Kidron Valley. Everybody say Kidron Valley. It's an important valley. You need to understand the Kidron Valley is a very important valley in Scripture. 
So Gethsemane, of course, that's the place where Christ prayed that famous prayer. You know, he was stressed out. He was sweating uh, tears of uh, blood. And, and, and he's like, Father, take this cup from me. Take, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That happened in the garden of Gethsemane. You, you've, you've got to understand that's what was going on. In the garden of Gethsemane, that's where, where also Judas came and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. A lot happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, as you go into the garden, I, I want to say you can still see some ancient olive trees remaining. You can still see them today. There, were, were they there around at the time of Christ? We don't know. Some people say they're just 900 years old. Others will say they are even older. It's just amazing the size of them and how wide they, wide they grow. But you, you can still see some ancient trees remaining. But Mostly when one looks down the mountain or looks down the Mount of Olives, the trees are gone. They're, they're gone. They're replaced by what? They're replaced by Jewish graves. We're talking about graves and gates today. They're replaced by Jewish graves. This is looking from the top of the Mount of Olives. Behind me, you can see the Mount of Olives there, the, the graves that are there. And so... so Again, these are replaced by Jewish graves. In fact, this is the largest Jewish grave or resting place in the world. In the world. Thousands upon thousands of Jewish graves are there. Now, looking down the slope, you can't properly see the scale of it. But looking up from the Kidron Valley, looking up, which is at the base of the Mount of Olives, you get a much better picture of what I'm talking about when I say thousands upon thousands of graves when I saw this I was starting to think I was like why would they put graves here I mean I don't know in my western mentality and my western thinking I don't know I don't know much I'm going I mean why would they put these all these graves here and what would seem like in any city be prime real estate right I mean this is right next to this would be prime housing development why would they put so many graves there this is prime real estate why here well, what we do know is that it's been this way for a very long time. And actually, it's been this way for about 3,500 or so years. We can see that from 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 6. It's speaking of King Josiah, it said this. He took the Asherah pole because things were going on in the temple. They were worshiping idols. They were doing things they shouldn't have been doing on the temple mount. And King Josiah came back and said, no way. That's not happening on my watch. I'm taking care of business. I'm going to sort this out. And it says he took the Asherah pole. It's like idol worship Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it into powder. And what did he do? He scattered the dust over the graves. So we can see the graves were there then. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city will be rebuilt. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley. And so we can see that these graves have been there for a very long time. But I want us to understand the Kidron Valley. I think it's just where it fits and where its perspective is. If you have a look here, and I've got my little pointer thing here. If you could just, uh, there's, the, there's the old city. Now, I want to say it's the old city, but it's not the oldest city. Okay, that's the, that's the old city of Jerusalem as we know it today, but it's not the oldest city. The ancient city of Jerusalem is here. It goes down here. It goes down this. This down here is the Kidron Valley. You can see graves here all the way down the hill. There are graves over here. There are graves here, there, and everywhere. 
But going down here, this is the Kidron Valley. Sometimes I always to think Jerusalem is flat. It's not flat. It's not flat by any way, shape or means. It was, they had to climb. You can look at where, where battles would have had to be fought to climb up there. This is the Kidron Valley in this place. This is a very long valley. In fact, it's so long it goes all the way to the Dead Sea. That's how long it is, about 20, 20 or something miles away. So it's a very deep and long valley. If you look over here, uh, we, we can see these buildings going on here. Go to the next one, uh, please, Danica. And so this gives us a better picture. Here are the graves on the side of the hill. It just looks like a mass of white stone. And by the way, they only build with one kind of stone in Jerusalem. You aren't allowed to build with any. You think, oh, the buildings are the same. I need to get it. No, no, you're only allowed to build with Jerusalem stone, only in that city. Okay, so that's why it has the same sort of tinge or color all the way through it. But there's the Temple Mount. We talked about it last week, the Dome on the Rock, and, and where, where the Holy of Holies and all that uh, was. This is the steps where in the book of Acts where he stood and said, you know, come on, be saved and whatever, and everyone uh, got saved. But you can see here, down here, here's the Kidron Valley running all the way all the way through, all the way past. Over here is Gethsemane. That's the Garden of Gethsemane right, right there. That flows down the hill. You can see a little bit of the road just there flowing down the hill. This is the Temple Mount. Mount of Olives is looking across to this base. Here's the Kidron Valley. Now you can see, this has only been discovered in the last little while, okay? This is not that long ago. You can see the ancient city of Jerusalem is right here. This is the ancient city. This is where Abraham met Melchizedek, if you know a little bit of uh, Bible history, was in the city near the Gihon Spring. We can see that David's palace was there, King David. He had his palace there. They've just recently found it, so they, they, they know that it was here. So that's King David's palace. Now, if you're looking at this, I'm standing right where David's palace was, looking across the Kidron Valley, looking across the valleys right down here. And this is from King David, where his palace was, looking across. And so when I saw this and when I took this photo, I thought, oh, that makes sense. Because it, it makes scripture, this is how scripture comes alive. Because it's interesting when you, when you consider that picture there in the light of 2 Samuel 11 verse 2. It starts to make sense. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now you can get why he, uh, how that was able to uh, happen. The woman was very beautiful and like, like my wife. And, 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 and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, or I, I think it says Bathsheba. I don't know if that's where we got the word bath from, but that's a whole other study. I haven't had, I haven't had time to go, uh, go there. But her name was Bathsheba. So the Kidron Valley is very, very important at the base of the Mount of Olives. I'm trying to give you perspective of where everything is. And so the Kidron Valley is the valley that King David had to, and his whole household had to escape from his wicked son, Absalom, who was trying to kill him. They had to escape across the Kidron Valley towards the Mount of Olives. And of course, people say that this is the valley that David writes about in Psalm 23. When he says, I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. It makes sense now when you start to think about that. This is the valley. And in that shade, it's on the eastern side. It gets the, the shade. This is the valley of the shadow of death. It starts to make sense when you think about those things. And remember today, we're talking about graves and gates. So why are those graves there? Why are they there and not? There, why are they in this place and not some other place? 
Simply this. The old walled city of the Temple Mount Jerusalem, opposite the Mount of Olives, divided by the Kidron Valley, this old city that we saw before has a number of important gates. And these gates are still there today. They're not the original gates that have been built. Because you've got to understand, uh, Jerusalem and any place, any archaeological, it's layered, right? Layered. That city of David that I showed you before, they found that while digging up a car park lot. And go, oh, hang on, it looks like we found a palace right here. So, so, no, 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 so, so this is how amazing. You dig anywhere in Jerusalem, you're going to find something. I mean, it's just like that's how it is. But, but you, you've got to under, understand all these gates. And so the, the empires come and gone. They take over. They destroy the gate. They rebuild the gate. Always in the same place. They, they never build a city in a different place. Understand this in any ruins or whatever. You might come there and you go, oh, that's a nice hill. They'll say it's a man-made hill. It's got 29 civilizations under that. Because they always build the civilization in the same place on top of each other. The gates are always in the same place. Exactly. The same. Why do they do that? Why don't they just say, hey, that's just too hard. We'll build it over there. One reason, water. There's no water. We build anywhere because we've got water everywhere. They've got no water. So they build their fortified places around water. That's what you've got to understand. Water is very important. Uh, streams in the desert. It's life to them. It's life to them. Water is so, so important. And Jerusalem only had one water source. Only one. The Gihon Spring. Only, only one. That's why they fortified it and took care of it. Because they needed that water. But every, every one of these gates has been rebuilt again. And, and, and understand this. In Jesus' time... Right now, they're just gates. People drive through them, drive out, drive into the old city of Jerusalem. But in Jesus' time, every one of these gates had a purpose. Like there was the Jaffa Gate. The Jaffa Gate. The Jaffa Gate was where actually we had a cool fun going through the Jaffa Gate. And now last night there, someone invited us to a Sabbath meal in the Armenian quarter. It's been divided up into quarters. The Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter, and the Armenian quarter. And, and this was in the Armenian quarter. So we went through the Jaffa Gate to a, a person's house who's just inside. It's been in their family for years and years and years and years. And we went and had the Sabbath meal with these Armenian Christians. It was pow powerful to be able to climb up on the roof of the old city and look across these ancient places, the place where, where, where James the Apostle was buried, where his tomb is. I can see it over there, King David's tomb. I mean, it's just like mind-blowing, blowing stuff. So we're standing on the roof. So this is the Jaffa Gate. Then there's gates like the Damascus Gate. More pretty, this is in the Muslim quarter or the Islamic uh, uh, quarter. And can I say, it's not a quarter. They have far more. It's way too much. It's not being divided equally. So this is a quarter. This is their, their quarter. This is the Damascus Gate. Now, what do they mean? What do the gates mean? It's simple. They didn't have any maps in those days, right? They didn't. So this was the GPS. So remember, not all roads lead to Rome. They saw Jerusalem as the center of the earth. And so for them, if they said, hey, honey, I'm popping up to Damascus for some work. So what would they do? How would they find their way? Well, they just know this. We leave through the Damascus Gate. And if we walk out the Damascus Gate and we keep walking on the Damascus Road, we end up in? Good. Well, not a trick question. That's true. It's a, you end up in Damascus. That's how they figured their way. This was like the GPS, GPS. And of course, remember, Paul had his encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road. That's how he did. He walked out the Damascus Gate, kept on him, and had a Christ encounter in that moment. Of course, then you've got the Jaffa Gate, like I said before, and the Jaffa Gate. That was just simply you wanted to head to Jaffa. So you want to head to Jaffa? Go 400 meters and keep straight. Keep straight. That's how you got to Jaffa. Jaffa is the modern-day city of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is the city of also of Joppa, where Jonah tried to run away from God to the end of the world, to the city of Tarshish, to the port city. That, that's what those gates 
that's what those gates mean. And then, 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 and then of course, after, after that, this is my, my, my fun gate. My fun gate is the dung gate. The dung gate. Fun gate is the dung gate. And I guess you can realize what this actual gate was uh, meant for. This is the gate where, of course, they had a lot of animals in the city, right? And animals make a lot of doo-doo. And, uh, uh, and, and they just needed to get rid of the doo-doo and the mess and the rubbish. So this was the rubbish gate, right? This is the gate where all the dung, all the mess, all the rubbish would come out of this gate. Today, you could just drive your car in and out. But that's the dung gate. So that's the important gate, getting rid of all the rubbish. That's where it was done from. Then there's the Zion Gate. You look at the Zion Gate, you can take, you take a close look, look at the walls, you'll see bullet holes all over it. Like, like <laughs> a lot of shots, a lot of shots, a lot of rounds have been fired into that wall. This is the site because in 1948, this was the border with Jordan right outside the old city. This was the border. This was Jordan. Jordan. Now Jordan's a long way away. But right in those days, this was Jordan. And so those bullets who fired them, well, actually, these are Israeli bullets. If, uh, the, Jordan, the Jordanians were on the inside, and the Israelis were fighting to get into their city. And so they fought, so they obviously fired a few rounds and made it in. And actually, they got through the, through the gate, managed to take it, but they lost it after a little while in 1948. Only in 1967 to take it all back in the Six-Day War, what's known as the Six-Day War. And now the border with Jordan literally is about 50 miles away near the Dead Sea. It's literally, that Jordan, it's like it was here, and now it's way, 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 way over there on the other side of the Dead Sea. That's how much change happens in the land. Aren't you glad you live in New Zealand? Come on, where it's just like, that nobody can do that type of thing, that one day you're living in Jordan, the next day you're, you're a part of Syria, the next day. I mean, this is the world that, you think about it for the Israeli people, where you're surrounded by every nation that wants to annihilate you off the face of the earth, that no longer wants to see the Eurasians. That's what they live with every single day. So that's the Zion Gate. A lot of fighting took place there. And then there's the Lion Gate. The Lion Gate. I like this gate. You will have a look at there if you can uh, see just above the uh, uh, gate there. There are lions above the gate. That's why, obviously, it is called the uh, Lion Gate. It's not rocket scientists. But uh, um, the Islamic Sultan... The Islamic Sultan, Solomon the Magnificent, which is a cool name, right? Adam the Magnificent. Come on, what has the sound? Come on, how's this? I mean, you never know. But the, the, the thing is, it's a, it's a cool gate, right? I mean, it's a cool, cool name. But he, he as an Islamic leader, you know, he, he was ruling the Ottoman Empire. Again, another empire that had taken hold. You know, you had all the different things, the Crusaders, all the different things that, that, that came in and tried to occupy Jerusalem. That's why this is the most contested piece of real estate on the Planet. People say this, this piece of real estate can spark World War III. That's, that's how intense the passion. The three Abrahamic religions say everything matters on this spot. Everything. This is the most important place on earth. So Islamic sultans, uh, Suleiman. And, and by the way, why are they called a sultan? Why do you call a sultan? So a sultan is a, not, uh, a non-Arabic Muslim leader. So a, a Arab Muslim leader is called a cal caliph. Caliph. Caliph, one who's a Persian, is a sultan. So that's why I did, that's just a little bit. I throw that in for free just for your uh, information. But he's put these carvings down there after defeating some enemies. But here's what's fascinating to me. In Jesus' time, this was not called the Lion Gate. It was not called the Lion Gate at all. In Jesus' time, it was called the Sheep Gate. Why was it called the Sheep Gate? Because it's where the thousands of beasts and lambs and sheep and goats were brought into the temple grounds to be sacrificed on the temple mount. 
at the altar. But we've talked about the blood. We've just sung about the blood on the altar. So this is where all the sheep, all the animals, and we know that the book of Hebrews tells us the blood of animals cannot satisfy satisfy God. Something, a better sacrifice is required. And so understand this. You've heard of the saying, the Via Della Rosa, the, the way of the cross. It is at this gate that the way of the cross begins. And it's at this gate that our sacrificial land, the, the, the sheep, because remember, Jesus is called what? We said it last week. When John beheld him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died as our sacrificial lamb. In fact, the scripture says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 7 tells us, you know it, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, your, mine, iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace. You've got to understand, friend, I want to tell you, you have a God who's, who has given his life that we might have peace. Oh, if you need peace today, understand He is the God of peace. Peace that surpasses your understanding, surpasses your situation, surpasses what you're going through. It's a peace that goes past that. He's brought us peace with God. His punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity, the mess, the sin, the guilt, the shame. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So his, He is the sacrificial lamb, yes. But Revelation 5 verse 5 tells us that He's also called the lion. So he's not just the lamb, he's the lion. In fact, we sing those songs. Our God is a lion, lion of Judah. Come on, help me out here. He's mighty in battle. No, okay, it's not that good, right? But he's not just the lamb, we need to understand. He's also the lion. And so when you think about that gate, it's quite significant. Because again, for Solomon the Magnificent, he also, his symbol was a lion. For the people of Judah, their symbol was a lion. But if a Christian had put that up there, you could understand it. Hey, I just want to put out the symbolism there. Just want everybody to know he's not just a lamb, but he's a lion. That would be different. But the fact that a Muslim leader has put up the lion over what was the sheep gate to say, I want to remind you, here he was, the perfect lamb of God. Now he's the lion, come on somebody, of, of, of Judah. This is the, you got, you got, you've got to get the symbolism here. So it's pretty powerful. And then comes the last gate that I want to talk about today, which is called the Golden Gate or the Gate of Mercy, the Mercy Gate. In the book of Acts, it's called the Beautiful Gate. This gate is on the eastern side of Jerusalem and faces this view right here. This, this, this gate faces this view. But as you look at this gate, it's different. It's different than all the others in that it's not open. It's closed, it's blocked up, it's bricked, bricked up. It faces this view, it faces the graves. We're talking about graves and gates. And as you look at it, you can see it's bricked up. Who bricked it up? Well, it's that guy Solomon the Magnificent again. He blocked it up. It's been blocked up by many people, even by Jewish people. It's been blocked up many, many times before. Why is it walled up? 
Well, Solomon the Magnificent may have made that decision to protect the city because that's how people could have entered. This, this, this gate takes you directly onto the Temple Mount. It takes you directly facing the temple to where the Holy of Holies is. In fact, it's called the Mercy Gate because if you walked in through that gate and walked straight, you will end up at the Mercy Seat. You will end up at the Mercy Seat of the Ark of the Covenant. That's why it's called the Mercy Gate. And so this was a very quick way for enemies to enter. So, so that could have been the reason, but I think not. See, Solomon the Magnificent, he understood Jewish tradition. He understood what the Jews think about this particular gate. You see, in Jewish tradition, this is the gate through which the Anointed One, through which the Messiah will come. It is through this gate, through this beautiful gate, through this mercy gate, through this golden gate, that the Messiah will enter Jerusalem. So they're like, let's block it up. Let's stop it because we don't want that happening. Not just to have their genuine Messiah come. We don't want false messiahs coming and people saying, hey, that's me. I'm me. I'm the one. No, no. So let's block it up. Let's stop that from happening. And so it's been bricked up for, for, for a very, very long time. And so if it's blocked up, he can't. Enter, the Messiah can't enter. Now the graves face the gate. The graves face the gate. Why? Why have they put so many? This is the reason why graves are there. Why are the graves facing the gate? Simply this. Because Orthodox Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, when the Anointed One comes, they believe that this is where the resurrection of the dead will occur. So it's pretty important to understand the significance of that. This is where they believe the resurrection, where people will rise from the dead. This is where it will occur in this place. He will touch his feet on the Mount of Olives and he'll head to Jerusalem. How? Down the road that we showed you before. And he will enter Jerusalem. And so when the dead are raised, why are there so many graves there? Well, they want to, as the saying goes, when the saints go marching in, I, I long to be in that number, counted in that number. When the saints go marching in, you've got to understand that that number, that, that, that those people are planted there so they can be as close as possible to where the Messiah is. To use it in a cheeky modern day term, if they wanted a selfie with the Savior, they needed to be as close as possible to get that photo. If, if, if they wanted a minute with the Messiah, where would you want to be? You would, want, you would want to be as close as you could get, as close as you could get to where the Messiah is, to where He is coming back. And so that's why there are so many graves next to the gate. That's why there are so many graves next to the gate because people are hanging out. If I can be as close as I can get to the Messiah. And so when you think about this, this place actually really is prime real estate. It really is prime real estate. In fact, while you can't believe everything you hear on Google, but with a bit of research, you can, you can see that people pay a lot of money to be buried near this gate. One person, I don't know if it's true or not, I didn't have enough time to deeply research it, but they would say people can pay up to a million dollars, come on, to be buried near that gate, to be buried on that place so they can be right there when the Messiah returns, 
in that resurrection. So it really is prime real estate. They want their grave to be as close to the Messiah, as close to the gate as they can. But see, for the Christian, it's different for us. For the Christian, it's different for us. Because we believe what? We believe the Messiah has already come. The anointed one has already come. And his name is, about three of you, his name is, it's not Bob. His name is Jesus, or Yeshua, as they call him. His name is Jesus. Our Messiah has already come. When we talk about Jesus Christ, what does Christ mean? Well, Messiah is the Hebrew word for for the deliverer, for the anointed one. When we talk about Jesus the Christ, what does Christ mean? Christ it means the anointed one. That's what it means. That's what Christ Christ means. He is the anointed one. He is the one who has come. And 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 again, listen. You've got to understand. Every year, as Christians uh, in traditional churches right across the world, we celebrate something that is called Palm Sunday. It's in churches all across the world, Anglican church, whatever. They, they take the space and they, they celebrate what's called Palm Sunday or what's called the triumphant entry. And it's mentioned in all four. It's so important that it's mentioned in all four Gospels. Not everything that Jesus did is mentioned in every Gospel, but this is. The triumphant, and, and again, when things are repeated, one time after, you've got to know they're important. Verily, verily, truly, truly. It's like emphasizing. It's in all four Gospels. So you know this is important. But it says this, Christ rode on a colt of a donkey. He entered Jerusalem doing what? Fulfilling the messianic prophecy in Zechariah 9 verse 9. In Matthew 21 verse 1, the NIV puts it in subtitles that Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. Not as healer. Not just as deliverer. He comes to Jerusalem as king. He intentionally did this. Listen to what it says, Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Again, where is Bethphage? Where is Bethany? It's on the Mount of Olives. It's all there. It's all around there. It's all the villages. Like, why can I, like Nikau Valley, like Otahanga, it's all that close. That's how close everything is. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village of here of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And it says in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. In Zechariah 9.9, here's the prophecy. It's written in Matthew. Say to daughter Zion, See your king. Now, they spe- Jesus specifically picked this verse on purpose. This isn't like, hey, this is just that. No, he's, he's saying, I, I'm, I am working to fulfill this prophecy right now. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of them, ahead of him, and those followed shouted, "Hosanna to the Son of David!" Why, why all the, why all the craziness? 
How come suddenly it's got so big? How come everyone's shouting and going, hey, Hosanna. It's like, hey, look who's coming to town. Why, why, why? I mean, it had been quiet. Why, why has it now gone crazy? Why is everybody shouting? Why are the, low, uh, the, the, the road, roads lined with people yelling out Hosanna? Well, simply because of this. Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, just a few days earlier, Jesus had turned up to the tomb of a dead man named Lazarus. And he had turned up at that tomb. They said, he's been dead. His body stinketh. That's what the King James Version said. I love the King James Version. His body stinketh. Don't open it. Don't do anything. If you'd have been here, Jesus, you would have been able to sort it. Now he's dead. He's been dead four days. He stinketh. But Jesus said, take the stone away. It's the place where Jesus wept, just over there, just over the Mount of Olives. And he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man got up and come forth. Friend, I want to tell you, there might be things that are dead. There is nothing so dead in your life that God can't bring it and call it uh, forth. You've got to know that. You've got to understand the power of that. And so he spoke. And when they saw the dead man rise, they're like, who is this dude? This dude is like freaky, man. He can call, he can speak to dead people and they will, they will come out. So you've got to understand all of that's been brewing for the last few days. And now he's heading into Jerusalem because for them, the Messiah was like, he's going to, this dude, he can raise the dead. He's going to take on the Romans. He's going to take on the Roman Empire. And so they're like, hell, Hosanna, welcome, welcome. So the, the, the whole city's going ballistic. They're going mad as he's riding this donkey into town. They're waving their palm leaves going, this dude is a mate. He's going to deliver us from the Roman empires. But really, he was going to deliver us from a wicked heart. Really, he was going to deliver us from the sin that so easily entangles our life. That's what he was going to deliver, deliver us from. He was coming to be our lamb, our sacrifice, so that we could be free so that we could know truth, so that we could walk in the freedom that is only bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we come. He died on that altar. He gave His blood on that altar, which is the cross. So they called out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And guess what, gate? It's what gate he entered by. The golden gate. It was open. And he entered in to Jerusalem, into the beautiful gate, into the mercy gate. And because he entered in that gate, we are showing mercy. And so for Christians, this is the good news. The good news is that our Messiah has already come. The good news is that grace has already come. We're not waiting for it. We're not hoping for it. We know for a fact grace has already come. Come on, somebody, get excited. We know that mercy has already come. We know that love has already come. We know that peace has already come. That in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away our iniquity, the sin of our world, led like a lamb to the slaughter, we can stand here today righteous in His righteousness because He took our sin. The Messiah has already come. We can have peace with God. The price has already been paid. But as we close, we have to remember that Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, that not only has He come once, but He will come again. He will come again. And the next time He comes, the Bible says He will not be on a donkey. When we think about a donkey, a donkey is a symbol of peace. It's not, a, it's not a threat. You see someone coming on a donkey, you don't go, whoa. But the next time he comes, he will not be on a donkey. He will be on a white horse, Revelation tells us. 
The first time he came, he came through the mercy gate. And the first time he came, he came to give mercy. The second time he comes to bring judgment. That's why we can't mess around with God, my friend. So we can't play around on this. It's not something I talk about a lot, but we must understand he will come again. And we will be held account to our life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need to make sure where we stand with God. Do you know where you stand today with God? Do you know if you are in relationship with Him truly? Have you given Him all of your life? Are you following Him like the Shema with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Has He got a bit of your heart or all of your heart? For when He comes back, He'll be riding a white horse. A horse symbolizes again. That's what the soldier rides. That's what the, uh, what, what the leader rides. And He will be coming to judge the world in regard to righteousness. So we need to be aware. And it says, on his robe will be written the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, friend, are you right with God here today? Friend, we cannot fool around with the seriousness of what the graves and gates mean. He will come again. The beauty is, of course, that we don't need to be buried in Jerusalem to be near Him. We don't need to wait for whenever that time will be. We can know because He rose again that you and I can have relationship with Him today. You don't have to travel to Israel to be close. He is here today. Because of what He did there, we can know Him here. Because of what He did in that place, we can know Him in this place. We can know Him in a real, authentic way. We can be close to Him. Not when we're dead, but when we're alive. The truth is though, the Bible says when we're dead to sin, when we're dead to sin, we can be alive to Christ. We can know Him in a real way. Every head bowed and every eye closed. My friend, if you're here today and you know you need to get right with God, you've been fooling around for a while, and again, you understand the mercy of God is still available to you today. You might say, well, I've got to sort myself out. You don't know how bad I am. It's not about how bad you are. It's about how good He is. That's why He, the, it's been brought. The, the, your, your, your freedom has been bought through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We sung it. That's why we say, come to the altar. Come to the altar. You, you come to the altar so you can be, uh, again, you're acknowledged. It's been brought so today, if you're here and maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you realize your heart has grown cold, you haven't fully given yourself over to Him. Maybe you're saying, man, I don't even feel close to God. Well, I want to bring you close to Him today. How do we do that? Just through prayer. It's for saying, Christ, would you come? It's not about what we feel again. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the cross. Trust what the cross has accomplished for you. Now, feelings are up and down all over the place. We trust in the cross, the debt that was paid. But if you're here today and you're going, I need to get right with God. I don't care if you've been needing to make a recommitment. I don't care if it's your first time here today. But you know that you know and you'll know that you need to get right with God. Maybe this week's been shocking, whatever. But you, you just know, I need to face Him again. I need to get close to Him again. Oh, you don't have to wait till you die. You can do it right here and now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you're saying, hey, Pastor, would you include me in that prayer? 
because I want to turn my face towards him. My my face being dry, it's been cold. It's it's like like it has been walking like in the Kidron Valley. It's like in the valley of the shadow of death. But but I want to I I want to walk into green pastures. Pastor, would you pray for me? If you want to be included in that prayer, it's just saying, Jesus, I want to face you again. I want to bring that closeness of relationship again. It's gone cold and dry. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and say, "Include me"? You just by doing that, you're saying, "Include me in that prayer." Is anyone here? You know you need to get right with God here today. Like I say, this is not, not just a salvation prayer. This is for anyone. You know you need to recommit your life to God. Thank you, sweetheart. Anyone else? Just nice and high so I can see it. Otherwise, I can't always see it. Just right up in the ear. Thank you. Anyone else? I, I just feel there's someone else. There's someone else. I don't know who you are, but there's someone else. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray all this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I turn my eyes towards you. I walk away from my sin, and I face towards you to follow you all the days of my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. I recommit to you this day 